I'll invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this passage here in just a short few moments. As Nick mentioned, we are doing this series pray leading up to Easter, and this is a really a season of preparation uh, for us to engage in Easter, not just to wake up Easter morning and be like, oh yeah, let's go to church and celebrate, uh, but rather to prepare our hearts and prepare uh, in action and especially prayer this season. And when we look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught this prayer because he was requested to do so by his disciples. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it was not because they did not pray. It was not because they did not know how to pray, uh, but rather they saw something in Jesus. Because the disciples from young boys would have prayed multiple times a day. They knew all about prayer, and they were faithful in that. But rather, they saw something in Jesus of how he related to the Father God in prayer. And that is why they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. They noticed the intimacy that Jesus had. And they noticed how often Jesus prayed. A few weeks ago, I shared with you just a few times in Scripture that we see Jesus praying. And I want to share those again with you, just so you get a snapshot of when Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed when he was alone, when he was in public, before meals, before important decisions before healing. Uh, he prayed regular times, withdrawing from the crowds. He prayed after healing, at his baptism, before traveling, before choosing the 12 disciples, when speaking to the Jewish leaders, before feeding the 5,000, before walking on water, while healing the deaf and mute man, before feeding the 4,000, at the transfiguration, before raising Lazarus from the dead, while with little children, at the Last Supper. Prayed for Peter, prayed for himself, prayed for his disciples, prayed for us, uh, prayed for his uh, betrayal, prayed while he was on the cross in his dying breath. He prayed after his resurrection. He prayed before his ascension. And he prayed often, right? We see this all the time that Jesus is pausing and he's praying and that he's taking this time. And the disciples too wanted to pray like Jesus. Now, as we walk through these next number of weeks and uh, even maybe today as you hear that uh, prayer is the focus for the next six weeks, uh, there may be part of you like, oh, all right, here comes the guilt and the shame, and I know I fail in this area, and I have so much growth to, to find in this area, and I, I, this, 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 this. I think we can all say, like, we know prayer is important, that we should pray. But what I want to speak into over these next couple, couple of weeks and allow Scripture to lead us is to talk about the desire of prayer, that Jesus desired this time with the Father. The disciples desired to know this type of prayer. And to speak into what is this desire, or maybe lack of desire, if we're honest, when it comes to prayer. Because maybe we've had so much heaped on and so much expectation, or maybe so much let down we feel when it comes to prayer. That over these next week, uh, weeks, I, I hope that it increases this desire of, for intimacy with God and and reflection of who God is and our relationship with God and with others. That we would really think about who God is, who we are in light of that, how we're to relate to one another, and really the purpose of prayer. And so with those thoughts in mind, let's begin with what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 on prayer. Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so when we think of what Jesus had to say right here is that I hope that takes a little bit of pressure off of us because what he said is that prayer is not about the show. It's not about the dramatics. It's not about the performance. It's not even about the words that we use. So if you throw in a few more thys and thous and, you know, everything else, that doesn't make your prayer any more impactful. Jesus is saying, cut out the extra words, cut out the show, and draw near to his heart. Because you know what? The Father knows what you need before you ask him. So even Jesus is saying, you don't have to come with your shopping list of requests that you pray over and over and over and over and over again. He's like, I know what you need. What the Father calls us to, knowing what we need is this intimacy. It's this relational element. In verse 9, he continues on by saying, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So when we look at this prayer, we can really divide it in half. When we look at verse 9 and verse 10, let me ask you, who is verse 9 and verse 10 about? Who's the focus on? God, the Father, right? And then in the second half, we would look and we would say, well, that focus is more so on us. Now, now who benefits from the first part of the prayer? It'd be God. In the second part, it would be us. Because we pray for daily bread and forgiveness of debts and leading us not into temptation. But I want to point out in the second part of who is the actor, who is the one that puts things into motion when it comes to daily bread and forgiveness and not leading us into temptation. That's not us. That's not our babbling. It's not our fancy prayers. It's God. It's God responding to the simple request of give us today our daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. God is the one who is put into motion to answer that prayer. And when we pray, Jesus modeled that first we pray about God's interest, about who God is. And then we ask for God's activity in our life. And Paul models this in every prayer that we see in the New Testament, that he, he points to God's activity and God's greatness, and then he goes into the request portion. So today, we're going to look at verse 9 in this first part here. When Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's first start here. Jesus very intentionally used the word Father. He didn't use the word God or Lord or any other word. He used the word Father. Now, when I say the word Father or you have prayed this prayer or maybe you've struggled with this prayer, for some of you, this is really hard because of the word Father. And maybe it's because of absence or neglect or abuse of an earthly father that you have a hard time seeing God as father. 
And if that's you, my heart aches because of that experience. But I want to encourage all of us that we're not to project our earthly image of a father upon God, but rather we're to take the father that Jesus sees and speaks about and project that onto what we have around us. Like, as a father, I should be walking in the ways that the father God models. And so we need to consider the description in this prayer of how Jesus sees his father. He sees his father this way, as one who is present, one who provides, one who forgives, and one who protects. And I think every one of us would say, hey, I will take a father that does those four things, that's present, that protects, that forgives, that provides. I'm game for that. This is a good father that Jesus is painting a picture of. It's a great father that Jesus is painting this picture of. And so he says, our father, this is not something to run from being determined on our experiences here on earth. It's one to project here. And he says, our father in heaven. Now, what we may think of is, well, that's far away. That is this distant, disconnected reality that we have no access to. And Jesus is praying about this God that, yeah, he's father, but he's really far away. And this may be reflected in our prayers is this gap. But when Jesus used this word heaven, he meant something very specific. And the same thing when the disciples would hear it. This word that Jesus used for heaven is translated as sky or atmosphere. So what he's saying is he's saying our father, this intimate picture, who is here, who is near us. Not someone far away. He's with us. So we have a God who is present with us, a God who's loving, that is nearby. That this God is not too busy for us. This God is not disinterested. God is not angry at us. And this is something that the disciples would have picked up with so many gods being worshipped around them, is that so many of those gods were far away and disconnected and had no intimate or connection relationship with people, and they were angry. But not the God that Jesus prayed to. So we see our Father in heaven. And then he says, hallowed be your name. How many of you have used this word outside of the Lord's Prayer this week is hallowed? Hallowed. Yeah, no one, right? This means holy or set apart or consecrated. There's next to nothing in our world around us that we would say is holy, consecrated, or set apart, that we would feel right using this word. But Jesus uses this word as hallowed. And what does he say is hallowed? Your name. It's the name of the Father that is hallowed. Okay, so I'm going to press pause here. What we just talked about, we're going to set right here on this invisible table, and I'm going to sidestep for a moment, and we're going to come back to that, what we just talked about. So I'm going to ask you to rewind, to turn back in your Bibles to Exodus 33, because there's something about this hallowed be your name that we need to understand. Why did Jesus pray this about a name. So Exodus 33, Moses and God are having a conversation in this chapter. And in verse 11, it says that they speak face to face with one another as friends do. Think about prayer and communication with God, face to face as friends do. And when I pray, 
I definitely do not feel, me personally, that close in those moments. But there is something going on there where God is close to Moses. And they have this conversation, and, and God promises his presence to Moses. He's like, I don't want this just this one time that we have this. I want, I want your presence with us. And so Moses very boldly says, show me your glory. Wow. He's asking for the glory of God. And what I expect in that moment and what I think is like fireworks and explosions and just this awe and wonder of God revealing himself when Moses says, show me your glory. God says, okay. And in verse 19, he says this. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Now, as we read this, I'm kind of going like, that's it? You're going to go in front, and you're going to say your name, and that's it. It's kind of like if I were to walk out over here and walk in front of you. This is what I'm picturing in my head. My name is Chris, and I keep going. Like I think when Moses said, show me your glory, I think he was expecting more. But God did not let him down and does not let him down. Because here's what can be easily missed is a name is like the autobiography of a person. The singular name will tell the person's story. And so by God saying, I'm going to tell you my name, I'm going to proclaim my name, God is saying, I'm going to tell you all about me. There's a distance there, but I'm going to tell you more about it. You were to move close. This is who his character is. This is who he is. If you recall in Exodus chapter 3, there's a story where Moses encountered the Lord. There was this bush that was on fire. Moses was uh, doing his job, and he walks, and he sees this bush on fire, and so he approaches it out of curiosity, and the bush starts to talk to him. It's a pretty trippy story if you haven't read it. And so Mo Moses does what any rational human being would do is he says, hey, what's your name? Because, of course, a bush that talks has a name. But here's what the bush says. The bush speaks this back. He says, I am who I am. Well, for us, that really doesn't clear anything up. Moses asked for a name, and this voice said, I am who I am. And the Hebrew is Eyah Esher Eyah, which translated out of Hebrew means this, whatever I am, I will be. Still a very different name, right? Whatever I am, well, I will be. But here the Lord is moving closer to Moses. He's moving closer again. And what he's communicating is that my name is my character. And I want you to know that I'm gracious and I'm gracious all the time. That I'm just and I'm just all the time. That I'm merciful and I'm merciful all the time. So what God is saying, he's saying I am consistent. I am what I am. Whatever I am, I will be. So he's saying to Moses, you can trust me. You can follow after me. And this is how God refers to himself. So in Exodus 3, he has this encounter, and then he says, oh yeah, by the way, Moses, I want you to go back to your people. And this is how it unfolds in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of your Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So he's saying, this, the Lord, Yahweh, which that is just phonetically, uh, 
spelled out. It's actually Y-H-W-H. It's really an unpronounceable word. Ancient uh, <clears throat> Hebrew had no vowels within it. So really it's breath. It's like, like it's the breath of God. And so what he's saying, he's saying, when God says his name, he says it's Eyah, Asher, Eyah. But then when he tells Moses, hey, when you go tell the people what my name is, you really can't pronounce it. It's more breath, but it's the name Yahweh. And as we think about this, something to note is that when God speaks in the first person, Eyah, he's saying, I am. When he says, Moses, you go speak to them, Yahweh, it is he is. Now, for those of you who have not completely fallen asleep in this moment, I commend you, and you're like, where in the world are you going with this? Stay with me. Remember, we've still got this sitting on the table here. We've got to come back to this, this, this package here. So you've got the name of God. God is revealing himself, and the name is holy. God is speaking this. He's sharing this. I have a, a Jewish friend of mine who will text me and email me, and he would not even if he's watching right now, he would be very disappointed in me that I printed this out and I even printed this. Because when he will text or email, he would say instead of this, he would say the name or he would take out the H and the W and just put dashes there. It would be Y dash dash H because the name is holy. The name is the name of the creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe drew near wanting his creation to know his name. So let's go to Exodus 34. We're moving along here. Back to Exodus 34. We started in Exodus 33 there. God is going to pass before Moses. He's going to reveal his glory. And not only is he going to share his name, he's going to expound upon who he is. So Exodus 34, verse 5, 6, and 7 says this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him. And the Lord proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He does, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Some of you have a picture of the Old Testament God of being angry and distant and judgmental and wrathful. But here in Exodus, the Lord is revealing who he is. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's faithful. He loves generations. He forgives, but yet he punishes the guilty. And what he wanted Moses to see was that he's not this distant God. He is a close God who loves him. So again, you may be saying, like, why in the world do you keep talking about names? Well, the name that we have for people describes our relationship. Let me give you an example. People have, I've been called Mr. Tarkowitz, Mr. Chris, Pastor, Chris, Dad, along with many other names I'm sure of. Um, you don't have to tell me what those names are. But Joanna does not call me Mr. Tarkowitz. My wife, Joanna, does not call me Mr. Tarkowitz, Mr. Chris, or Pastor. And if she ever does, we have relational issues, right? But rather, she calls me Chris, yes. But she calls me Babe, and she calls me Hun. And that was too much for some of you. I recognize that. 
But she calls me those things, just like you may have a name for someone that you have a more intimate relationship with because of the depth of the relationship. You think of people that are sitting in the sanctuary that you walked past this morning, you have no idea what some of their names are. There's a lack of relationship there. But there may be someone sitting next to you that you have a name for them, like Babe or Hun. What we call people describes the depth of our relationship. And this is the thing that the Lord is getting at by revealing his name and his character to Moses, and then also why Jesus said, our Father. Jesus demonstrated his relationship and his intimacy with the Father God, the creator of the universe, by calling him Father. And he modeled that for us to do the same, for his disciples to do the same. That is, you don't have to say Yahweh or Lord or God, but rather Father. You have access to the creator of the universe in prayer, in communication, and you can call him Father. There's even passages in scripture where the word Abba is used. And a very sloppy, loose translation can be daddy, but that leaves it way too short of what it really means. Abba does mean this like daddy type of relationship where I love when my kids call me daddy. It is just an intimate, like close thing. I love hearing that. But if we just leave it at daddy, we miss the point. Because daddy is intimacy, but it lacks obedience. And so the word Abba, to properly understand it and use it as daddy is intimacy and obedience. I want my kids to know me, to know my heart, and I want to know them that intimate way. But I also want them to obey me because I know what they need. I know where to protect them and what to guide them to. And this is the same with our father. We call him father because of the intimacy and also the obedience that he calls us to. Jesus prayed an amazing prayer that you can really see his heart in John 17. Maybe this week, this is something that you want to look at. What is the heart of Jesus and how did Jesus pray? And you can read chapter 17 of of John, but I want to read part of it here. Jesus is praying and he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus is praying and just saying, Hey, I, Father God, I know who you are. I know the love you have for me. Jesus is saying, I want the people to know me so they can know you. This intimate relationship. And this is what prayer invites us to. See, I think we have a disconnect and a lack of desire to pray because that God is so far away. We feel that way versus being close. John Mark Comer, he wrote these words. He said, prayer is brutally honest, naked, and vulnerable. It's when your deepest desires and fears and hopes and dreams leak out of your mouth with no inhibition. It's when you talk to God with the edit button in the off position and you feel safe and heard and loved. It's kind of a relational exchange you can't get enough of. And our prayers make a difference. Most of us don't actually believe that prayer changes reality, but it really does. I really love two things that he said in there. Is that we can go before the Lord just as our kids, my kids just come to me and just say pretty much whatever's on their mind. There's an invitation. Our Father, 
our Father who art in heaven who's near. But also this concept that we fear that prayer doesn't change reality. And maybe that's another reason that that desire for prayer is, is not there for many. Is that, man, things are going to happen whether I pray or not. Dallas Willard, he spoke into this. He said, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyways. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. It's this connection, this raw, our Father. This is what's going on. God, I'm hurt here. I feel empty here. But God, you're good. Lord, you're, you're consistent. Lord, you're compassionate. Whatever, whatever you are, you'll be. That Eya, Asher, Eya. So this week, I want to invite you once again to prayer. Especially those who have struggled with prayer and continue to struggle with prayer. I want to, I want to hit a reset button for you and give you permission to reset. And to approach the Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To draw near to one who is holy, but who is so close. To draw near to one who calls us to obedience, but wants the best for us. Next week, I want to come back to this, but I want to I pose a question about the way we pray and the prayers that I pray as well. If God answered all of my prayers that I prayed this last week, would I know that it was God and God alone that answered them? It causes me to rethink about how I may pray for peace in a day. And I had peace, but was that God or did I just have a good day? As I pondered this question, and we're going to ponder this more next week as we talk about the will of God being done here as it is in heaven next week. As I pondered that, I went out and I stood in front of the one cards that are out there, many of your ones. And I prayed for all their salvation by name. Because if every single one of those received Christ this last week, that would be God's hand moving in a mighty way, right? But why do I not pray with that boldness, with that trust? Because God's will is for them to know him as Lord and Savior. I'm drawing near to the heart of God and I'm praying these prayers that God can answer. And so I want us to think on that a little bit. Is do we believe that God answers prayer? Do we believe that this God, creator of the universe, cares about what we have to pray about? Do we really believe that? Or do we give God an escape hatch? God, I really want this healing to take place, but if you don't want to do it or you can or whatever it is, I trust you. That's true. You should trust. But do we pray going to the Father, praying for his will to be done on earth as in heaven? There's a little bit of a preview for next week, but, but maybe into practice, James 5. Let's start here. Ask God to answer this. 
James said, chapter 5, verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Be reminded that the righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. That righteousness comes from a relationship of knowing him as father and we as beloved children. Let's pray. Father, Abba, thank you that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you are near. And Lord, we recognize the holiness of your name. Lord, we thank you that you are Yahweh. You are who you are, that you are consistent. That you're always gracious. You're always just. Your will is always perfect. Father, this week for many, just ask in this moment, God, that you would help hit this reset button for prayer, that we would just lay aside all the assumptions and the heaviness and the burdens. And we would simply come to you, trusting you as Father. Lord, forgive us for those times that we have made it so much more about us and our will than yours. And Lord, in this season, that you would give us that desire to know you, to walk with you, to simply talk and listen. Lord, maybe in this place or watching online somewhere, there's someone who's not said yes to you, following you. Scripture calls us to confess our sins, but to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And really what this is about is it's about the old being put aside and you putting the new on us. Lord, a life that is led by you a new life that you direct. And if there's anyone here today, they would just take a moment in their own words that they would confess sin in their life, that they would confess that they're a sinner, that they've depended upon themselves, and that they're repenting, they're turning away from their old self, their old ways, their old desires, they're putting on a new self that you offer, Jesus. They would receive forgiveness in this new way, this new life. Lord, as we go this week, thank you that you go with us. Thank you that you are close. Thank you for that prayer window that is always open. So we want to say that we love you. We're thankful for you. Thankful that you desire to be known. You desire for us to know you. So Lord, guide us and direct us and send us in our weeks. We're so grateful. Pray this all in your strong and powerful name. Amen.